studies say that the average lifespan of the dollar is approximately 28 days in the Asian communities, 19 days in the Jewish communities, 17 days in white communities, and just six hours in Holy black shit. communities. Hey, it's me, Chance, and thanks for listening to us discuss redlining. Next week, we're going to explore whether you can be a military member or pro-military and also be punk. Chris, Ricky, and I have all served, and I was recently called out by someone for, for promoting the military while also preaching the punk ethos. I'd love to know your thoughts on this, so hit us up on the socials. My sellout? I don't ask for anything other than for you to rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify, and also follow us there youtube on facebook instagram and twitter also visit punk-journalism.com i don't i don't have hardly any any knowledge of, of red line and okay. this kind of stuff other than from them and i'm i don't know i kind of feel like i'd be good to come at it from just kind of an innocent bystander's yeah. viewpoint you know well and i think that that is good just because it demonstrates how this is like just a very little known topic but it's so it it's affected people so so greatly you know but yeah well and it's like to me it's it's just a point of how there is institutional racism still prevalent in america Mm -hmm. so i i think that this is a relevant topic to discuss for a couple of reasons i think it's one of those topics like gun violence that Unfortunately, it always seems to be timely. The issue of racism and discrimination never seems to be going away anytime soon. Also, because of the new Amazon original show, Them, which deals with this topic, redlining, it absolutely takes a dump on the idea that the 1950s were this idyllic time of white picket fences and leaving your doors unlocked, etc. We know that that's how Donald Trump appealed to his base, by selling nostalgia of this bygone era, make America great again, what does such a vague reference even imply that America was great and now because of some boogeyman it no longer is when was America great when you ask most red hat wearing citizens they'll cite the 1950s I so often hear people say that those who are still struggling in the black community are now only doing so through their own doing that the civil rights era was a long time ago slavery was a long time ago and if they haven't pulled themselves together by now then it's on them I'm all for personal responsibility But what about acknowledging the obstacles and boundaries caused by decades of policies, such as redlining, meant to keep people behind? Nothing in society turns on a dime. Nothing in the government turns on a dime. Policies have changed. Great. Segregation is illegal. Great. Slavery is over. Great. The civil rights era happened. Great. But that doesn't mean that someone somewhere waves a magic wand and this causes those who've suffered from discrimination to be lifted up to the same place that everyone else is. Like, just because a policy changed and laws have changed, a switch flips and suddenly racist sentiment everywhere disappears and we're all living in peace and harmony. You have to consider the long-term repercussions or fallout of these past errors. To not do so and to simply say, this is America, everyone can do whatever they want as long as they try, really speaks to your level of ignorance and privilege. The topic of redlining is very valuable to educate people on because it was a legal practice rooted deeply in racism that most people are virtually unaware of, and the consequences of it have had dire effects to this day. I was unaware of it until about a year ago. If more people were aware of the effects of redlining, I believe that fewer people would say things like, why can't black people just get out of the ghetto already? Can't they pull themselves up by their bootstraps? And I can say this as someone who's been that person who said those things. 
or things like that. I'm friends with a few people who practice a lot of spiritual development work and higher consciousness who will argue with me about this, calling victimization a, quote, low vibrational energy. I think that only a person in a place of privilege could say that and claim that the differences don't matter. Everyone has obstacles to contend with, but we don't have the same type or amount of obstacles. My friends who say this treat it simply as a case of mind over matter. To achieve, all you must do is believe. That sounds like something really nice to put in a greeting card, but you should walk into a low-funded public school in East LA and give that same speech and see how well it goes over. Sure, I guess anyone can technically do anything, but some people are born at the finish lines and other people are born at the starting line with many more hurdles in their way, such as redlining. So what is redlining? I'm going to read from a CBS News article from Christopher Brooks written last year in June called Redlining's Legacy. Maps are gone, but the problem hasn't disappeared. It says, for decades, many banks in the U.S. denied mortgages to people, mostly people of color in urban areas, preventing them from buying a home in certain neighborhoods or getting a loan to renovate their house. The practice, once backed by the U.S. government, started in the 1930s and took place across the country. That includes in many of the nation's largest cities, such as Atlanta, Chicago, Detroit, Tampa, and others with large minority populations. As a result, banks and other mortgage lenders commonly rejected loans for creditworthy borrowers based strictly on their race or where they lived. As part of that practice, financial firms, real estate agents, and other parties demarketed geographical areas that were effectively off-limits for issuing loans. Scholars who study housing discrimination point to redlining as one factor behind the gulf in wealth between blacks and whites in the U.S. today. Black families have lost out on at least $212,000 in personal wealth over the last 40 years because their home was redlined, said real estate app Redfin. Redlining was made illegal in 1968. Federal law prohibited home lending discrimination with the Fair Housing Act in 1968 and in 1977 with the Community Reinvestment Act. The first of these laws bans discrimination based on someone's race when the person is trying to rent or buy a home as well as apply for a mortgage. The act also makes it legal to impose predatory interest rates or fees. Under the Community Reinvestment Act, lenders must track how often they approve and deny loans to people in low-income households. Based on records, lenders are assigned a rating on their compliance with the law, which is either outstanding, satisfactory, needs improvement, or substantial non-compliance. What is the legacy of redlining? And although banks deny engaging in redlining, some housing advocates and lawyers say that the practice continues through a different form. Quote, you're not going to see someone with a map on a wall with red lines around it, said Stuart Rossman, director of litigation for National Consumer Law Center. Although we rarely see redlining, what we do see is a lot of reverse redlining. In reverse redlining, banks may engage in predatory lending in the same neighborhoods that were once marked as off-limits for borrowers. For example, in the years leading up to the 2008 housing crash, mortgage lenders peddled hundreds of thousands of risky subprime loans, including no-doc and balloon payment loans, on low-income borrowers. Many communities and cities like Detroit and Newark have yet to recover. So in, in other words, like we can still very much see the the effects of redlining. And like I said previously, like nothing 
nothing that happens happens on a national scale is ever going to just turn on a dime. And just because a policy's changed or a law is, is made or changed, that doesn't mean that things just overnight um, change. In fact, you see the the fallout of of the effects of these things continue for many many years down the line for many generations and as as a result you know we still are seeing the effects of redlining and chris when i had started um last week when i was asking you guys about what topics we'd be interested in in discussing this week you perked up when i mentioned redlining chris is in kansas city and and from what you explained it seemed like there's a pretty prominent history of redlining there right there there is indeed um and the thing is, you can still see the results of it uh, today. If you drive through Kansas City, you can you can see it. You can see um, there's a, a a road in Kansas City called Troost. <clears throat> uh, they call it the kind of the Troost Wall that that separates. So everything west of Troost, like that, was the area that you wouldn't lend money to. You wouldn't you know, the, the, the bank's red line and they weren't pouring money into those neighborhoods and everything east of it is affluent white neighborhoods. So, so you can literally drive down truce and see the difference, um, which it's, it's astounding that, that you see that the, the history of redlining in Kansas city goes back to, uh, JC Nichols. And I'll be, uh, using a lot of, uh, information, uh, from an article, uh, uh, published by UMKC. This was back in 2013. It's called The Truest Wall, the product of Kansas City's long-running racial plight. Um, the, the article discusses uh, J.C. Nichols and kind of what he did. J.C. Nichols' name is very synonymous out here with uh, areas like the plaza. If you've ever, um, if you're from Kansas City or you've ever been to Kansas City, the plaza is kind of a big area. And it's it's literally the plaza is where the wealthiest Kansas Cityans live. I mean, I, um, the owner of H and R block owns, uh, in a, you know, a home down there. And, and by homes, I mean, these are like apartment houses. It's just very affluent, very wealthy area. Uh, and JC Nichols is the one who developed, uh, this area. And he's the one that, uh, kind of enforced the truce, uh, wall that happened. One of the things that JC Nichols, uh, invented was, homeowners associations. Uh, So uh, what that was, uh, was according to the homeowners association, uh, there were certain rules set in place. And uh, in the homeowners associations that were built through uh, JC Nichols, uh, part of that covenant was that the, um, the owners could not be black or Jewish. So you can see very directly how you're forcing uh, two separate types of people out, um, through that, through the creation of this homeowners association. And, and he played into the redlining uh, of truce very well in developing only uh, on the east side of it. Yeah. So you can see like a clear division of where, where the affluent and the, the non-affluent are, right? Absolutely. Just by, uh, <clears throat> again, just by driving down truce in Kansas city yeah. and, and the, the effects of it are, are still, uh, felt today. And that's kind of the thing, uh, when you hear people say, well, it was made illegal, like, yes, it was made illegal. Um, but we're seeing, so recently the, uh, with COVID-19, the federal government passed, uh, the PPP loan distribution, uh, the paycheck protection program, uh, to help small businesses, uh, that were 
crippled by uh, the pandemic. Um, and, and what they found is that a lot of those loans that went out um, were too, uh, kind of followed the same uh, area or the same redlining areas that uh, they used back in the day. Um, I just wanted to talk about where the word actually comes from, because that's kind of like a weird term redlining so in that same article that same cbs article that i i referenced before it says that the term redlining is a nod to how lenders identified and referenced neighborhoods with a greater share of people deemed more likely to default on a mortgage so we already you know covered that using red ink lenders would outline on paper maps the parts of a city that were considered at high risk of default as well as more desirable neighbor neighborhoods for approving a loan Riskier neighborhoods were predominantly black or Latino, says Robert K. Nelson, who oversees the University of Richmond's mapping inequality project, said that the maps were created in cities with 40,000 residents or more. The federal government, through a now defunct agency called the Homeowners Loan Corporation, worked with local real estate agents and banks to create the maps. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like it's something that's blatantly discriminatory and of, of course, like, you know, these areas, I mean, I'm sure if we looked at these maps and we saw the areas that are outlined in red, we could probably visit those areas today and see, you know, that they're still struggling and that they're like Chris was saying, you can still see the the very visible literal division of of affluent people and impoverished people based off these these boundaries. So I'm sorry, you were going to you were going to go yeah. ahead with something else. So, so I, I apologize. I have the statistics for that. This is. Uh, from Julia uh, Lurie. Um, she's a senior reporter for Mother Jones. Uh, and it's how PPP loan distributing became the new redlining. Um, and in the article, she says that the uh, the minority communities got hit harder, but they received loans at half, 1.5% uh, or one and a half times less than the white neighborhood. So you're talking one and a half times less money from the PPP loans going into these same redlined neighborhoods than they are to the white neighborhoods. So if it's not going on, why do, why do you see, why do you still see the disparaging mm -hmm. numbers right. between how the money is divvied out by the federal government? Yeah, and that's, I guess, why it's kind of a frustrating thing that, that so few people know about it. And Ricky, this is, you didn't even know about it until we brought it up last week, right? I really didn't. We brought it up when I was at, what's redlining <laughs> yeah yeah right and isn't this like something i mean now that you've heard about it and you're you're you know been brought up to speed this is something that you think would be pretty common knowledge right i mean yeah it well yeah subconsciously it makes a ton of sense you know um i've heard it said before you know that you never go to martin luther king boulevard you know in any it's city. never the place in any city yeah you know what i mean um yeah. it, there's yeah. always there's always those uh, those places, you know, that you can say don't that people say don't go past here or you're going to be in the ghetto. Or you're going to get shot or, you know, this will happen or that will happen. And it's it makes a certain kind of intuitive sense if you. Just kind of remember those times that you've been told that, you know. Mm -hmm. And what? Yeah. And the reason that that is it is the way that it is it's just because those when those red lines were written or drawn around these these areas it was almost kind of like dooming them to never getting never never coming out of that 
um, yeah. perception that it's scary to go there and it's dangerous. And well, and you know, uh, without constant investment, you're just dooming businesses to fail. I mean, yeah. Well, and see, and that's an issue with that too, is like, and it just goes round and round like a vicious circle because when you have decided that these areas are low income and that there are people that aren't making enough to invest in anything, no businesses are going to go in there and, and, you know, invest in a restaurant or, you know, like it's been determined that that's, that's a place where people, where poor people are and people that don't have any money and people that are on the dregs of society. So why would you invest money putting a business in there? And not only that, but then there's no investment, you no know, tax dollars aren't invested as well. So you don't, the schools are shit. And right. um, that, that's it. That's actually just while you're right there. Uh, the, the school district, U.S. District 501 out here, in, which is in uh, Wyandotte County, which it's been a redlined area, uh, they actually they lost their certification as a school district because of that exact reason. Because of what? Because you, you can't you cannot attract teachers to come in. Yeah. So they're unfortunately their whole uh, the whole school district became uncertified. Basically, uh, they lost their certification um, as a school district because they can't attract the type of teachers that they need uh, and they don't have the resources to improve the schools to become accredited again. So it's basically a matter of teachers aren't willing to risk <laughs> going there to work and, and being no, well, they, they can get they still have teachers teaching there now. But unfortunately, in order to be accredited, you have to have the types of resources that are needed to pour into the school and they just don't have the resources. Right. For, for different things and that is that is because of the district and the community in which it is in yeah you know you've, you've heard of those kind of things all over the all over the place right that makes sense so there's a another article that i came across uh, from ali.com it says let's talk what is redlining and how does it affect the home ownership gap today so they get a little bit more specific about they go into the the history of redlining laws and everything that we've we've spoke we talked about, but it says that now that redlining is, is illegal, how does it affect people today? So they say since redlined areas were overtly denied opportunities to develop, it left those neighborhoods and residents falling behind other neighborhoods where businesses, schools, and housing, including property prices, grew. Even though redlining as a practice has been illegal since the passing of the Fair Housing Act in 68, the buildup of suppressed growth has made it so communities of color still feel the effects today. According to, the stu of, according to a study by the National Community Re Reinvestment Coalition, 74% of neighborhoods that were redlined in the 1930s are low to moderate income neighborhoods today, and 64% are also majority minority neighborhoods. Meanwhile, the black and white homeownership gap remains as wide as it was in the start of the 20th century. Discriminatory practices like redlining, blockbusting, and predatory lending led to a lower rate of appreciation for real estate in redlined neighborhoods, which paved the way to an increased wealth gap between black and white families. A Redfin study found that in the last 40 years, a typical homeowner in a previously redlined neighborhood has gained 52% less in property value increase than a typical homeowner in a neighborhood that was not historically redlined. There's also racial disparities in housing appreciation across home mortgage borrowers of all income levels. 
but especially among black borrowers who, whose homes are still frequently undervalued. We should probably say who Redfin is too, right? Redfin is a real estate company. Okay. Yeah, Redfin isn't like, uh, you know, the ACLU or uh, who's I've heard sometimes like referred to as tank. the Anti-Christian Liberties Union or Anti-Conservative Liberties Union. Right. Uh, no, they're a, they're a real estate company. They're not, they have no agenda for showing or displaying racism they're not going to get anything out of this this is they're just saying look uh this is what we see Mm -hmm. yeah because that's their bread and butter yeah because houses are how we make money okay so something else i wanted to bring up that i think really speaks to just this idea in general of being very intellectually lazy about the idea that that this isn't just a problem of people not being motivated enough to to get out of their their current situation. Uh, after when did Black Lives Matter really gain some steam? Was it like two thousand thirteen or fourteen? Yeah, I want to say that sounds right. Yeah. So follow, yeah. following that, the blue the Blue Lives Matter uh, was developed in response as a response to that, which I always thought was really tacky. Oh, yeah. That that was made as kind of like a a rebuttal to the Black Lives Matter movement, just because it kind of demonstrates that you miss the point. So on uh, March 24th of 2017, the founder of the Blue Lives Matter movement, Joseph Impatrice, appeared on the Artie Quitter podcast, and that's a like a comedy stand-up comedy podcast. Uh, Artie Ho, Artie Lang, who is the host, said to Impatrice, "Quote." Liberals, left wing, whatever the hell you want to call people now, they think that they can make a change for your cause by focusing on a negative thing. They don't realize what it does to police. It sucks that years ago that there was a there was so much bad in certain areas, you know, like how the South, there were certain people, police departments, they were in the Klan, but that's a long time ago. End quote. With that statement, Patrice expressed agreement by replying, the problem is that people keep bringing up racism when it's not even that relevant. And it causes people hatred, and they don't even know why, and they don't even know why they hate. And so I think that this lazy way of thinking demonstrates that people will turn a blind eye for the sake of remaining in their comfort zone. By merely saying that the civil rights era was, quote, a long time ago, that shows that you've willfully or ignorantly allowed yourself to believe that the treatment of all people across the board has been fair and equal. If you're living in the ghetto at at this point in time in America, then that's on you. Case closed. Um, When Lang points out that it's unfortunate that racism was so strong and prevalent and violent in the South, but that was, quote, a long time ago, and that needs to essentially, we need, you know, people need to get over it. He doesn't think about why it was commonplace for segregation and discrimination to occur. If you asked a room full of people today if they would have owned slaves in the 19th century, you can bet that almost everyone will say no. Or if you ask the same people if they would have supported segregation in the, in the 50s, they would still likely say no. But nearly everyone in that room would have, otherwise it wouldn't have been such common practice. People say that um, religion or, or, or your, your inner sense of ethics determines what's right and wrong. Uh, and really what it is, is demonstrably it's society that determines what's right and wrong for people 
you can go and you can find times when a 70-year-old man could marry a 14-year-old girl. Nobody would say that's okay now. Slavery, you know, you ask a person X off the street, is slavery okay? You're going to get, I guarantee you out of 1,000 people, 999 of them are going to answer you no. But do that in the 1700s, you're going to get very different responses. Yeah. I, my, my response to that would be, um, like, you need to look at the real world impact that that's had. Uh, so redlining, one of the biggest things that it robbed the black uh, and minority communities of is generational wealth. One of the best things about the American dream is building generational wealth, right? You want your kids to have it better. How do you build generational wealth? You do that through real estate, right? Your mom and dad, they buy this $50,000 house back in the 50s, right? They, <clears throat> they raise the family there. In a few years, they can sell it and they can get more money than what they paid for it and move into a bigger house, right? It's generational yeah. wealth. You're building and you're going. The people in the minority communities, the people in the black communities, they were not afforded this opportunity. They're, they couldn't own places because they lived in an area where banks wouldn't loan money. So as you brought up earlier, no businesses are going in there. Nobody's pumping money into those schools. But then we tell them, well, you can do whatever you want, working hard and get up out of that, you know, out of your situation. Well, they, they're not getting the best teachers as I just and, and by the way, I wanted to clarify it's U.S. School District 33. It's on the Missouri side. Oh, OK. Uh, just like if you're in that school district, you become unaccredited and all of a sudden, like you don't have resources. You don't have teachers that are trying their hardest to help you out. And there's a lot of things that you don't get that other people do get. So you're starting from a very, uh, a, a lot farther back starting blocks than everybody else when the race starts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I guess the, the image I was trying to conjure up when people say like, you can very easily say, you know, like anything you put your mind to, to, you can achieve, you know, if you believe you can achieve. And that I think is just like the only people that, that can say that and feel comfortable saying that or people that don't have a whole lot of obstacles in front of them. Uh, they because, have some kind of privilege in their life. Yeah, because like, I mean, like right. literally, like if you're, you, I mean, technically, I guess that's true. And you can, you know, if you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever you want. But that doesn't mean that right out of the gate that you're not at the starting line with with so many obstacles in front of you so many hurdles to get over and you know somebody else is born pretty much at the finish line and they you know maybe that they're just born into a situation that is going to grant them uh you know a lot of opportunities um one thing i remember back when i started college and i was always like i was triggered because i i thought i was conservative and i was listening to to talking heads all day long at work like uh glenn beck and rush limbaugh and then when i was at school like i was like really touchy about liberal professors and ideals and everything and i remember i i think it was like my second semester of college i took a sociology 101 class and that was like my first really tense experience um in that sort of environment and i remember it was like the first week of that course the uh instructor was talking about how the rules of society are meant to essentially benefit those who already benefit from the rules of society. So it's like if you are in a bad neighborhood or a bad area and somebody breaks into your car and steals your car stereo, like they're not really concerned about living 
and abiding by the rules of society that have been established by those in power who really have just kind of thrown them under the bus for generations and decades. So why do I care about about following your rules that aren't really intended to benefit me, aren't really intended to help me in any way? And I think that that's, that's an interesting case study in, in showing how morals are objective. Like, what's moral to you isn't moral to me. Like, I'm trying to survive, and and your society, the way it's been set up, is not meant to benefit me. It's meant to benefit those at the top. So why why do I give a fuck about following your rules? Like, I'm not really concerned about making you comfortable. I've lived a life that's completely uncomfortable, so I'm going to do what I can to take care of me and my family. So it, it took me a long time to, like, make that connection but I remember being really, you know, like turned off by that back then of like, oh, you know, we have to hold people accountable. You can't just go around stealing car stereos. And of course you can't like, but the blame needs to put on why have people been put on that in that position in the first place? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of feel like it's uh, so I wanted to touch on another thing that, you know, kind of brings it back to, well, is it still happening today? Um is this gerrymandering um, for those uh, who are unfamiliar with the term of gerrymandering uh, gerrymandering is redrawing districts to uh, in a state you redraw districts to um, to ensure that you get more votes for your guy and so I have uh, an example of this um, from an article uh, from Vox called North Carolina's extreme gerrymandering could save the House Republican majority. And this this article was from 2018, Ella Nilsson, um, and it discusses uh, North Carolina A&T, um, and it's the largest historically black public college in the country. Um, and in 2016, uh, the Republicans redistricted um, the state, and when they redistricted the state, the campus, and its 10,000 students um, were split in half so that half of the congressional district had half of the school and the other half of the congressional district had the other half. So before this redistricting happened, they had a Democratic uh, representative named Alma Adams, and she was an African-American and an alumni of that university. And now the school uh, is split between two white male Republicans. So that Mm -hmm. is, you know, that is a perfect example of how you know, gerrymandering things of that nature. It's, it's institutional racism and it's built right in to, to keep the minorities from having a voice in a vote. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because there are a lot of minorities and they're beginning to outnumber the more privileged class. They actually, I think that they do outnumber the privileged class. So there's, you know, if they had, if they had more of a say, then those people probably wouldn't be in power. So it's, it's, what you're pointing out is a very obvious way of, of trying to silence them and, you know, to, to remain in power. Absolutely. And, and it's just because I just love that question from people of like, how is there institutional racism? Like, 
uh, as if the system, they don't understand that the system has been rigged on a very deep level. I think when people hear institutional racism, they just assume that like, there are still people that are racist, like pulling the strings somewhere. And that's, yeah, it's what, like that's, that's what they're what referring saying. to is like, man, well, I, I, when was the last time you saw like a black person beaten up in the streets? Like, that's what they're talking. They're not talking yeah. about like the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, that is like much more, um, it's, it's less like visceral. It's, it's a lot more like, you know, the way the society is structured. Absolutely. And those people that carry out these, these different things, I mean, let's go to a bank that, that is, isn't pumping money into a community. Like, could you say that that bank owner is racist? Like he probably has no idea. Like he's, he doesn't think that he's racist, but what they fail to understand is the very system in which they're operating in has had these pieces put in place to be racist. It's, they've been put in place to keep black people and Jewish people out of white neighborhoods. They've been put in place to prevent, you know, uh, money from going into black neighborhoods, which is, you know, it's segregation after segregation. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, that's like what I said about Trump supporters last week. I feel like it's just a nudge. Like they know what's up, but they, they can't do it out in, you know, out in the open, they have to do it behind closed doors in a not so blatant way. just like a lot more subtle. Yeah. yeah. And they really leave each other out. They hang each other out to dry when they get caught too. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. Kind of it's thing. just politics. Like, yeah. yeah. There was another thing I was going to bring up, just kind of like an example of, of how I think people are really out of touch and why I think that it's really important that, that there's something like this issue of redlining is made more, um, in the zeitgeist of the mainstream, I remember I had a conversation with a, a coworker a couple of years ago that was talking about people who live in these areas that are basically third world countries like East LA. To him, it was like very much a simple case of if you really wanted to, you don't have to sell drugs. You don't have to do this. You don't have to resort to crime, you know, like start working at McDonald's and go up from there and, or start, start, uh, you know, join the army. And like, even with the, with the army though, like, like you still have to have high school education and like how many of these guys are making it through high school, maybe just by the skin of their teeth, just because like we said before, the school system is garbage. Well, well and to clarify, you, you have to have a high school diploma. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so even, you know, first of all, you have to have that. You have to have been successful enough in high school to even pass the ASVAB, which is the like placement exam for, you know, in, in the military for finding a suitable and, job for you. And working for McDonald's isn't a, isn't a good answer either, especially if that McDonald's is paying, you know, federal minimum wage, yep. so seven yeah. seventy five an hour. Cause that's just enough money to keep you from starving. Yeah. And why wouldn't nope. you just sell drugs instead? Like when, yeah. Yeah. When you could put in less effort and make, way more money why wouldn't i do something like that instead of go work my ass off for a fast food restaurant making yeah uh, fast yeah. food fast food work is hard yeah you yeah. run yourself fucking and, ragged and and let's be honest if you're getting paid minimum wage and you have a, a family you know the taxpayer that's telling you to get up and go get a job is now subsidizing your life because they have to pay welfare because their minimum wage job doesn't pay them enough to survive. So. Yeah. Yep. People who assume that those who are on welfare are just across the board taking advantage of, of the system. And it's like, 
you know, if something like redlining had been abolished or even, you know, not even abolished, but never even started, that may not even be an issue anyway. Like people may not even be on welfare in the, in the numbers that they are currently. Um, but like, even with that example that I was, I was saying about, you know, this, uh, colleague of mine, go somewhere and be a farmhand. And I'm like, okay, like, let's play through that scenario. Let's say that you are a kid from East LA in the black community. And you're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to the middle of America and Wyoming and I'm going to volunteer to work on a farm and I'm going to, I'm going to save my money. I'm going to do well. Like, let's just walk through that scenario and see how that would happen. Like, first of all, like, where are you going to get the money to get out of Southern California in the first place? Like, are you going to sell drugs first? Like, are you going to go steal a car stereo first? Like, what? how Mm -hmm. are you going to raise those funds? Are you going to hitchhike? Let's say, like, you do make it across country and you go somewhere in the Midwest or Middle America where, you know, there's ranch hands and and low-skilled labor jobs and and that sort of thing like if i were a a black guy walking door to door and to like different farms in wyoming i would think i was just asking to get my head fucking blown off (laughs) am i right well and that goes with the hitchhiking thing too like what person is going to pick up a black kid and yeah hitchhiking to wyoming like what that seems sus like what why is this happening and like even once you do get there and like you need especially in downtown la like who's gonna pick up anybody in downtown right hitchhiking so like let's say you do make it to wyoming you're walking door to door but you need money in the meantime like are you gonna panhandle because i mean we we've seen so many people the way that they react to panhandlers and people that are that are on the corner like you know, saying like, oh, why don't they, you know, use this time and energy to get out and actually find a job? Well, he's trying to find a job, but he's in the meantime, he needs to like buy something to eat that day, you know, or to right. have somewhere to sleep. So it's just it's so self-defeating. It's like there's not really a right answer. And that's I think that the the right answer is we have a lot of wrongs that we need to right very quickly, you know, and um we can talk all day long about like how this is fucked up and what have been the negative consequences the last several decades. And, and we can look at everything that's gone wrong, but like, I think that it doesn't really matter until we have like solution, tangible, viable solutions that, that can be put in, in, in place to, to, you know, make up for the last 50 years or 60, 70 years. I mean, what do you, I mean, way longer than that. I mean, if we go all the way back to slavery, um, what what would you guys propose as a solution to this? I mean, it's it's way bigger and and than just uh, you know, oh, we should just do this. Uh, it's way more complicated than that. The, the good first step, I think, would be even though the secure the Supreme Court doesn't like to rule on political things if we could get some kind of ruling on whether or not gerrymandering is legal because we're not going to get it out of, out of congress we're not going to get any laws out of, out of congress on this because both parties do it and both yeah. parties like it to, to clarify it, whenever whichever party is in power like they're against it when they're in a minority and they want to pass bills to get rid of it but then when they gain back the majority they want to you know try and do the exact same thing. So yeah, because they can parts. redistrict to keep themselves in power. You know, um, it's that preservation of power. So if we could Absolutely. get the only thing that's gonna that's gonna ever make this thing 
go away is going to be the Supreme Court doing uh, ruling on it, I think. Um, I think that'd be a great first step. Um, federal minimum wage to a living wage increase, that'd be a great first step. There's a lot of really things that would be really good first steps, but I don't know what would be a good, you know, silver bullet yeah. for this. And I guess maybe just to play devil's advocate, some of the arguments that I've heard about the the federal minimum wage, because I'm not disagreeing with you, but these are just some of the things that that I've been presented with. Like, mm-hmm. what about, I mean, when you, let's say we increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, because that's what's proposed usually, right? That's the number that's thrown out there is 15. Sure. Yes. So what would that, I mean, right now, like if we say that that is what a manager makes at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. What would happen with that manager? Like, would hit? Or is everybody going to get a bump up in salary? I mean, wages. That's kind of one of those questions where it's like, there's two ways to look at it. You know, you can look at it from a selfish viewpoint of, well, shit, because this person was making seven dollars and now he's making what I'm making. Why aren't? Uh, why is that fair for me? Well, I can see how you'd say it's not, but also. Uh, a that person has got a bump up in pay, um, and doesn't do your job, which is a higher tier job. You've got a really good reason to argue for a raise. Uh, B. Why are you upset that they're making more money and they're now you know in a place where they could be comfortable and happy? Why shouldn't? Why aren't you happy for them? Are you? Who are you saying you like the per, like the mid level person? person? The, the, the person who's making this argument. We're using a hypothetical, oh, yeah, hypothetical right. person, right? I guess uh, that hypothetical person is just saying, "What about, you know, the neck, the people on the next level? Does every if the if the lowest level person gets bumped up to fifteen, does the person already making fifteen do they get bumped up, and then does the ne- next level get bumped up? Like, I guess that's what that person would say. Um, yeah, as a logical argument, My it's not. It's not even like that... it's not even like not being happy. It's just trying to say like, okay, well, what do we do? Like, how do we make everybody? happy like because you don't want to piss off one person by bumping up their you know wages when they do a different job with more responsibilities you know well you really can't make everybody happy so that's not a a good way to approach it but uh for the for the managers of a mcdonald's if you'd be managing a mcdonald's a whole mcdonald's and you're making 20 bucks an hour you are woefully underpaid go to best buy or something like that Mm-hmm. where you'll be making you know 30 or 40 bucks an hour to run a store yeah uh, i mean and i guess least. i was just using that as a as an example i don't know like before i was i mean it it, it wasn't that long ago i was making less than 15 dollars an hour maybe 10 12 years ago but I've but also there. the less the less i've ever made at a job mm-hmm. the hardest i've worked like yeah the more money i started making the the more comfortable the job got yeah, no, I I 100% agree with that. I, I think the, <laughs> yeah, I I think the that. root of all of this, like the whole minimum wage thing, comes down to one. It, it all circulates around one thing. And according to Forbes.com, uh, uh, during the pandemic, U.S. billionaires may got $1.2 trillion yeah. richer. Fuck, dude, you okay. nailed it. So, so we're sitting here and we're talking about raising the minimum wage to – and let's be clear, okay – um, you cannot survive on minimum wage if you are a single job household. Okay, so nobody can have a family and and live on seven twenty five. I believe it's seven twenty five right now. 
um, nobody can live on that. Okay. Like that's, so all we're asking is that people be given a living wage so that they can chase after those same dreams that these 1950s era nostalgia make America great people again are thinking back to well guess what your your dad could go to work and work all day and your mom could stay home and take care of you because your dad made enough money right and and the the ridiculous disparity in wealth wasn't there like it is now yeah you fucking nailed it man like i think i read said yeah it was today how jeff bezos got a yacht for his yacht yep like yeah. i saw that yeah article, and did you see what what his uh what he's worth right now 200 billion it's crazy and it's like dude like why like and i guess like you try to think or you you flatter yourself by saying like if i had 200 billion dollars i would give most of it away because like why would i you know i'm never gonna spend that much money if i tried i couldn't like what would i buy but um i wonder sometimes if it's like you move into a you move into a different class of of society and it's like you have to maintain a status within that class. So it's like this guy is still, you know, let's say Jeff Bezos by the standards of, of like us three, like he would be a wealthy guy if he had a million dollars and gave away the other, you know, 200 billion. But he, I, maybe, you know, he, he sees us as, as underlings or ants. And so he doesn't want to be in the same classification as us. Like he still wants to, he wants to be top tier, appealing to the crowd of people in his class. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, maybe I don't really know him, so. But yeah, I just, it's I, like, I, why? For, why do you need that much cash? You know, like. Oh, it, for, for him. Because like, he's secretly a dragon and likes to hoard wealth. <laughs> for him, like, you don't make $200 billion by not trying to make as much money as you can and do everything you can. Like it's to me, it's almost like this mindset. They get a taste for it and they're like, no, they're not going to redistribute it in their mind. They did all of this great work to build this wealth, man. And they just like, like they put themselves on this pedestal and they don't give any credit to like, yes, you had this great idea, but like, what about the infrastructure? What about all this other stuff, dude? And that's where, okay. If you want to truly solve this problem, you need a redistribution of wealth through taxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So keeping with minimum wage really fast. Sorry. Um, I'm going to be saying some things from uh, epi.org, CNN, and then Forbes. And in that order, um, the first one, the EPI is the Economic Policy Institute, right? It's a .org. It's a, it's a non-for-profit place. Um, raising the federal minimum wage to $15 by 2025. So that's in four years, uh, would a little under four years, would lift the pay of 32 million people, right? So just let's just make the math easy and say it's 20 bucks an hour, right? And then uh, I like to use video games because video games are, are easy. They cost about 60 bucks. Um. An argument that, that I had with a friend of mine or a conversation I had with a friend of mine who lives in Australia uh, where minimum wage is a livable wage is that um, video games there cost 80 bucks versus 60 bucks here uh, in general. You know, you get a brand new double, AAA license, it's going to be 80 bucks there versus 60 bucks here. Um, now at 775 or 725 an hour, you're going to have to work 
for I think it's uh, nine or ten hours to be able to afford that sixty dollar video game. But if it was twenty bucks an hour, you could work for four hours to afford the eighty dollar video game. Wow. Yeah. Same thing with tank of gas, right? Like I got a I got a van. It takes about forty five bucks to fill up uh, to fill up my van. And uh, you could I could work for two and a half hours at twenty bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. Or I could work for four hours, I think it was, at seven dollars an hour. You know, uh, so it's just it, it's it's what is this costing you in your life? They also EPI also has a graph that shows that uh, minimum wage today is worth seventeen percent less than it was ten years ago. That's... Excuse me, and thirty-one percent less than it was in '68 when they established the minimum wage, or when the, when the minimum wage was at its peak value. Sorry. Um, keeping going with this theme, productivity. Uh, if you match minimum wage to productivity, uh, CNN says that minimum wage should be twenty-four eighteen versus seven twenty-five. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Forbes says that in nineteen sixty-three. Uh, so you're talking about inflation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm talking about a, a lot of inflation. Right. Uh, that was inflation. Uh, the projected federal minimum wage in 1963 was that it would be at 1628 today. Wow. Uh, and that's how they planned out this whole minimum wage thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so. By us keeping it at seven twenty-five, we're 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 messing up what our plans already were. Mm-hmm. You know, and I you know? I, I consider too is like when because another argument against the raising the minimum wage is like, well, I don't want to pay you know twenty bucks for a, a Big Mac, and I'm like, well, you know, maybe you fucking shouldn't be going to McDonald's in the first place, you know, <laughs> like but you wouldn't like maybe you wouldn't pay twenty bucks for for Big Mac. They've got. I mean, you you go to different countries in the world where they have McDonald's because McDonald's is fucking everywhere, and you can get. Uh, when I was in France last year, uh, two years ago, sorry, uh, you can you could get a fucking Big Mac, and it was um, it was like it was like ten dollars, uh, ten euro for a. Uh, what does that come out to in U.S. dollars? Uh, ten euro at the time, I want to say, was like stronger, right? It was like yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was like it was like twelve or thirteen bucks. Okay. I want to say yeah. at the time when I went over there, um, and uh, everybody over there had living wage. Everybody had full benefits. They had vacation time. They had uh, health insurance through the state, not through McDonald's. Um, it's, it's just like all we're doing is keeping our wages at the top. Right now, a euro right now no, is worth a buck twenty-one. Okay. Oh shit! All right. So it's even. It, it lost, would be even less money now. Yeah, it lost some of its punch when uh, Britain wanted to do this thing. So yeah, yeah. So Brexit. I don't know. You maybe you've already addressed this, Chris, but what would be you know getting back to redlining and and trying to fix the mistakes of the past. And, you know, as quickly as possible, bring us out of the situation that we're in, or as far as people that are living in those situations, what would be your resolution? 
I, I think my resolution uh, to a lot of people may seem extreme, man, but I really think that restitution to the black community and you could start there and you could move out. Like I, I know the argument is, well, if you start there, like where else, you know, how many other people have we wronged? But I mean, if you really look at the impact of the laws in this country and what they've had, just even going back to slavery, right? The, the slave owners of the South great built great amounts of wealth on the backs of slaves. And so like, where is that like writing that wrong? And maybe the best way, in, in my opinion, is restitution and pouring back into these these black communities. Another another thing I wanted to bring up uh, real quick uh, is how long the black dollar stays in the black community, right? Because you have different things like this, and this is um, that's a good point. The the uh, FAMUA online. Uh, it's an article by Cameron Marshall titled The Black Dollar Doesn't Circulate Like It Should. Uh, and this is from 2020. Um, it says, studies say that the average lifespan of the dollar is approximately 28 days in the Asian communities, 19 days in the Jewish communities, 17 days in white communities, and just six hours in Holy black shit. communities. So you look at that, and that right there is another indicator of just how much damage has been done through that like they can't even spend their dollar in their own community because their own community doesn't have the same options to get these loans to build right. these businesses and I, I feel like you're kind of starting to see you, you know a movement of people trying to get you know people to invest in the black communities but that right there is a perfect example of how you know the minorities are being kept down in this country Liquor store, liquor store, bail bonds place, gun shop, liquor store, bail bonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who owns all of them? Yes. Yeah. I exactly. mean, it, it's it's not saying that that we should be giving every business over to black owners, but like, let's say you know you got the the black kid working at the working at McDonald's, keep it going with McDonald's, why not? Um, that black or that that that, that black kid uh, works at the McDonald's owned by a white dude, and he buys his lunch there that he earned with his money that day. Yes, I mean that's a good example. Yeah, uh, and and you know let's be representative of the areas, right? Like, why don't we see the percentage of black Americans represented in Congress? Why don't you see you see what I'm saying? Like the well, numbers are are never even across the board. So in that, yeah. I think that. I want to address that through what my resolution would be if I if I could, you know, think of any way that I think would be the most effective way to address this problem. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be quick. It would probably take one or two generations to actually turn around, but then I think that you would see more people in these positions of power in uh, Congress and and whatnot. And that is through education because I think the education or lack of education is usually you can trace it back as like the root problem for just about any any major societal issue. And so like like we're saying like there's no money for education in these areas, they're garbage. And so like kids are just born without a fighting chance in the first place. Like they're basically just born into a third world country into a war zone where they just every day is a fight for, for for survival. So they don't give a fuck about going to school and doing well in school. So like I, I've said for a long time, it's like, I think that all children 
regardless of what you were born into, how much money your family has, all children are entitled to a five-star education. So like when you, and and I, I made this argument a little bit ago when I talked about some people are born at the starting line with like tons of obstacles right in front of them. Some people are born at the finish line with no obstacles built in front of them. I, uh, I remember a couple years ago, I did a podcast talking about like how the public school system has failed and what maybe there's some better methods that we could use to, to address that. And one of them was this teaching style. I can't remember what it was called, but, um, essentially what it was is beginning or prior to the school year, they're interviewed by several teachers and it's determined what their particular, each individual children's learning style is, like how they best are suited to learn, because everybody learns differently. But public school, of course, is one size fits all just across the board. And that's why I, I, was, I thought I was stupid until I went to college, just because I didn't fit into that, that, uh, that mold. And uh, you have teachers that ha- have specialized training for each of these different particular learning styles to give to each child but you know where this one school fucking exists the hamptons oh yeah of course so it's like you know when when you're already born kind of like in a perfect situation like those are the only people that are going to be advantaged enough to have a good education and like when you're born into a situation where you're you know you're born in east la and you you, your school system is garbage. You just don't have a shot. Like, what else are you going to do? You know? So, like, then you have to resort to a life of crime or selling drugs or whatever. So, I feel like, you know, like, take take this tax money that we have spent over the last, you know, two decades uh, fighting wars overseas and in the Middle East. Use that same money to build five-star schools in every uh, district. You know, and and even with that, like school and education is not for everybody. It would be an injection into society at such a huge level that I just feel like within a generation or two, I think that you would see a huge turnaround, you know, and you would see people in those those positions of power in Congress, like you're saying. Yeah, Yeah. there would never never be another Trump if that happened. Like Bernie Sanders, as much as I like him, um, you know, and he advocates for free college education. Well, by that point, for a lot of people, it's too late. Like, if you can't even do the entry exam to get into college, like, that's not going to work for you. So it needs to that's start. A, that's a great point. Yeah, it needs to start all the way back to to, to early, early adolescence. Yeah, and, and to that point, I mean, I love what uh, I love what our governor is doing out here in Colorado and, and trying to make, you know, early childhood education uh, something that's free and accessible to everybody, you know, trying to make uh, preschool and uh, kindergarten prep, all that free to everybody, I think is, is a great way to set uh, set it up for, for success. Uh, I, I'm all for it purely based on the fact that I like living with smart people as opposed to the opposite. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't, I would you rather don't have like a society built... Yeah, right. I would rather have a, a society built on well regard. I shouldn't say smart people uh, on 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 well educated people. A well educated person is more likely to be smart than a person who isn't. Yeah, 
Well, and, and I always, I always bring it back to this. Like, I feel like everybody's always like, it's education, it's education. I get that. But the whole point of school, like people are like, well, if I just learn all this stuff, it doesn't make me a better person. And that's correct. It's not the knowledge that you're getting there. Okay. It's the fact that you're being taught to think critically. That's my biggest thing is like, if, if society as a whole could just be taught to think critically, not just like, like my grandma on Facebook, like she sees it like, oh my God, like grandma, dude, can you just like, <laughs> you call your grandma, dude. Yeah, like Grandma Dude. Like she's a yeah, Grandma she's, Dude. She's a big Broncos fan, and we butt heads a lot. So yes. <laughs> oh man, are you not a Broncos fan? I'm a big I'm a big Chiefs fan. Why is it, Why are you on this podcast? <laughs> you should see <laughs> You should see Chris's said leg. This was okay. <laughs> Me because I don't give a fuck about football. People. Oh okay, dude. Mahomes. I don't really either. I just look at every opportunity to give people shit. So <laughs> that's what I like. That's. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, you know, also along with that is um, everything happened this last summer with George Floyd. I heard, you know, somebody at one point said to me, like, oh, well, have you heard of what's going on in Chicago with all the black on black crime? Like, well, what about Black Lives Matter? All these black people are killing each other. Mm-hmm. And, and plus, do you know how much of a fear factor they could use if it was if, you know, it was like a bunch of black people killing white people? Like what? Like. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like, like they just started talking about black on white crime. Like, it it really doesn't matter. The statistics on, of course, you're gonna. Those are the people that you live with. I'm sure that there's more white people killing white people. Yeah. Than any other? You never hear white on white. Yeah, or Asian on Asian. I guarantee you, more Asian people kill Asian people. It's just being a part of your community. And or girl on girl. To understand, girl on girl. You know what I mean? Like, it. You, they say that you usually know somebody. The, or the people that are murdered know the murderer like and if if you know the murderer they're either related to you or your friend and you tend to stick around your own mm-hmm. type in your communities and that's yeah, just it's typically murder. because you have a reason to murder the person you're murdering exactly so you kind yeah. of have to know them you know so, a person who just you know randomly murders did you guys ever watch that uh it was a docuseries on netflix it's probably still up there um and it's about donald trump and how he built his empire and like his his father and like how his father made his money and it, it was no, pretty yes. interesting it was about four four episodes i think no um but what i thought was really interesting about that so this is post redlining at you know post 1968 after that mm-hmm. law went away and his father was really successful on i think it was um i can't remember which borough i want to say brooklyn uh of building low-income housing and not even low income housing. It was just like just apartment buildings. And any time that there was a a tenant who was of color trying to apply, the uh, application had a B on it. So the you know the person that received the application wrote a B on it for black. Mm-hmm. And those people were oh. when they looked at the applications and who wasn't getting approved, and they looked, it was taken to court. What the uh, the lawyer that was defending the people that was that were getting denied residence there, she said that Trump said to her in private, like, "Come on, seriously, like, would you want to rent to them?" And so, like, it's I mean, that's like a really potent example of, you know, even though it's post nineteen sixty eight and redlining is technically against the law, like, people are still going to find ways to to make it suit them. Mm-hmm. That's so. I have two things I want to say. The first one is a joke, and I think that's called. I think that's because Trump was, senior Trump was doing what's called beelining. 
It's not a good joke, but it is a joke. <laughs> um, yes. I, dude. He was beeline. Yeah, you're right. What's up? What do you mean? I don't understand. I didn't get the joke. Like beelining, like it's a bee. He's doing the same thing, but using bees instead of red lines. Oh, okay. I got yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's there. Yeah. He's with All right. Yeah. yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to point out with that, too, is like they, they still do studies and they find that uh, that people with black sounding names or foreign sounding names are less likely to get a callback on a resume. Man. Like, yeah, like, there's that. Like, so, I mean, there's so many discriminatory things. Like if you have a white sounding name, you're more likely to get a job interview than if you man, have a foreign sounding name. I have gotten. So my legal name is Walter Frederick Morrison, the fourth. That's a pretty white name. That is super easy for me to get interviews. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, like and, a pipe, dude. I feel like you should be like with a pipe. well, well, and then I, and then I show up there, you know, and I've got like when I'm pale, when I'm pale, I'm pretty mocha colored, and I got this black oh. hair, this dense black hair, and this dense black goatee when I'm not, you know, doing guard. Uh, I can't grow an actual full beard, but the goatee looks nice. Um, nice. So I show up, and I always get this like immediately kind of confused look from. From from most of the time, I get this immediately confused look from interviewers because they're like, "Walter Frederick Morrison the fourth In walks this guy who looks like he might be Indian, not like, you know, like from India, Indian. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I've got no Indian blood in me. I'm like Scottish and Navajo and Blackfoot and Mexican. Yeah, which uh, we discussed last week. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. Probably yeah. the Native so, American, yeah, for sure. So, so I always get this like I can see the disconnect happening as I'm walking in there, um, and it's hilarious to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's 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 proof of it. And I think Nine News out here did a segment a while back on a company that was the, or, uh, home valuations for these this black couple who then who got this really low home valuation. So then they had their white friend attend the house and they took down all of their family pictures and they immediately got the proper valuation for their house. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there's, there's proof of that out there. All you got to do is look for it. It's super yeah. easy to find. I'm actually going to do that right now. Have you guys seen them on Amazon? The show with them? Oh yeah. 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 I thought you were talking I, about person for a second. I, I have not, man. My fiance got good. excited when, uh, when she heard that you uh, liked that. Oh, so. yeah. You should definitely watch it. It's, it's well, I'm going to have to now. Yeah. So, I mean, in it, like I said, you know, in the in the monologue, the, it kind of, it definitely takes a shit on that whole conception of the 1950s just being this rosy, perfect time for everybody. And um, this family, they're a black family from the South. And what made me think of it was Ricky was talking about when he goes in for an interview, he kind of gets like, you know, he throws somebody off because it's he has dark skin. And his name doesn't match his skin tone. But like in this in this show, I'm pretty sure that the guy gets the interview because he's across country and he interviews for this job that's in California. I'm sure I think he does the interview over the phone and then he gets there and he's a black guy as he's an engineer. And it's just interesting to see how that all plays out. But, yeah, that show deals all with redlining and and the. uh the bureaucracy behind it and in all the, uh, you know, the ways that they were trying to, to make, uh, you know, 
to make it not you know legal for for black people to be in certain neighborhoods and yeah it's it's a trip man i would recommend watching i watch it with my folks and i'm like do you guys remember things being like this like but the movie the the, the, it, the show is super hard to watch and not because it's fucking brutal or it's gory or it's disturbing for any real actual like horror movie reason it's the racism yeah. yeah yeah and i don't even like they could get rid of the horror element altogether and, and the it would show still be would, a really good show yeah like i i feel like almost like the horror stuff is kind of shoehorned in like mm-hmm. i don't really understand the point of the horror elements of it but it, it kind of feels like <coughs> like uh american horror story a little bit it's kind of got that same feel yeah uh i just did a quick google search resulting in 86 uh million 100,000 results for black home valuation nine news uh and it was the first one uh it's actually i said it happened here in colorado but it happened in jacksonville actually so my bad um and the ortega family says that their home value jumped 40 percent after they removed all the black art black authors and black uh residents from their home and had their white friend show the home to the to the valuator uh, and this is you know obviously one family's experience with one valuator and it might have been totally different had they had a different valuator but it's the the google results of 89 million or 86 million uh different stories about this show that it's well, some of them are, are undoubtedly going to be overlaps. Um, they show that it's obviously a much larger thing than that one valuator and that one family. Uh, just looking at the top four results, they all mention different locations or different uh, families than that first one. So it's you know another example of, well, it's not codified into law, you know, it's still there. And, and I think that's kind of a perfect example to kind of go back and touch upon last week is like your white privilege. You've never had to think about something like that. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Their house value jumped 40% after they removed. I mean, that's, that's insane to me. That's, you huge. know, that's, that's huge. That's massive. Yeah, that is, that's <laughs> exponential, <laughs> man. That's exponential. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I and again, like it's it. it's absolutely something I never. I mean, I think that last week we we kind of talked about <laughs> male privilege, and now I think we're kind of talking about white privilege. So mm-hmm. it is. I mean, and again, those are things that I never consider. Like when we were talking last week, like I don't ever think about walking to my car at night and having to clutch my keys and make sure that nobody's exactly. sneaking up on me. Like it's the same same kind of same idea, you know? Exactly. Or mm-hmm. being taken advantage of when you go to you know get your automobile repaired or something like that because there's so many stories about like women like that like i don't know what they're talking about yeah like they're taking advantage like you know it's just stuff like that or how you're treated when you're a woman like i've never had to deal with somebody walking up and grabbing my ass and whistling at me you know what i mean yeah i I I get that a lot but yeah it's okay (laughs) i was gonna say yeah we've never met before Hey, okay, well, looking forward to it now. now I can feel included. Uh, All right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah but, you, but you're right. I mean, uh, Capeco, one of our one of our, one of our people out of the guard, 
uh, and I were talking and she's like, Oh, I always run with my dog. And I was like, Oh, that's fun. But you know, why do you run with your dog? Like, like, what if you just want to go for yourself? She's like, I don't ever do that. Why? Because it's dangerous. And I was just like, I was a hundred percent oblivious to what she was saying. Yeah. I was just like, I don't, I don't get what you're saying. Why is, why is it dangerous for you to go running without your dog? Yeah, like, a, yeah. a couple years ago, <laughs> a few right. years ago, I was right. I was um, seeing the girl that was tattooing me, and she, I was telling her that I had recently taken a trip to San Francisco by myself, and mm-hmm. one evening I walked to Golden Gate Park, and I was watching the sun go down. It was beautiful. I walked the whole park, everything, and and she's like, "Yeah, that does sound like it would be nice. I could never do that." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? Like again, like I just completely clueless." just didn't even enter my mind legal why couldn't you do yeah what are you talking about she's like do you really think that i could just walk through a a a park in a big city like that while the sun's going down and it just completely never even entered my mind or you know when i was at csu and i would get out of a late class or i'd be in the library till till late at night and i would there would be a young lady ahead of me walking to her car we were both walking to a parking garage and I couldn't imagine, I mean, you could almost sense the, like the, the tension coming from her because like yeah. she knows that I'm behind her and we're both walking to a parking garage at midnight, you know, like yeah. Yeah. I couldn't imagine, you know, that would be so creepy. Like if, if I was her and I, but I don't ever even think about that. Well, and, uh, my, uh, I forget who it was. I think it was, I think it was Cody, my wife who said, you know, because I was talking to her about this, and it's like, why is this so scary that there's a guy behind you? And she said to me, you know, because I was stupid, and she said, imagine that there's a person or a, a thing that is, on average, at least a foot or two taller than you, or at least a foot taller than you, outweighs you by, on average, around 60, 70 pounds, and is, on average, about twice as strong as you are. And has a history of murdering your kind. Yeah. You know, has a history of, uh, you know, of, ju- of just just wiping you guys out when they feel inferior, when they get insulted. How would you feel? Absolutely. And I never thought of that. I mean, shit. Uh, we were watching uh, Legally Blonde today, and uh, one of my kids, you know, I was just I was making coffee. And uh, there, my wife and, and and the kid was watching Legally Blonde, and I, you know, I always thought of that movie as oh, like that. I always show that to my eight-year-old. You know, that's a pretty wholesome show. You know, it's just Ella Woods going and conquering all and getting her law degree and you know being the best Ella Woods that yeah. she can be, right? And uh, I had 100% forgotten about the scene where the law professor offers her a job if she'll sleep with him. Oh yeah, you know, and I just like. Like that scene happened, and I looked over at, at at my kid's face, and she's just like, "It, it didn't really affect her." Like she's just like, "Yeah, that's expected." Wow. You know? Yeah. I wanted I wanted to have the oh my god, how could he do that reaction? But she didn't have any fucking reaction at all. She was mm-hmm. just like, "Okay, cool, that happened." Yeah, it's scary, man. It's, <laughs> it's scary stuff. Well, and, and it's, I what, can't do anything about that kind of experience for her. Well, the, one of the things too, we're like sidetracking. There's like any <laughs> of sure. those guys from that era where that women were treated like that, and I'm saying that era. It's been like that since the dawn of time. Like, like 
when, when you have a daughter, how do you not just instantly start thinking like, would you want your daughter treated like this by anybody? Like, would you not want your daughter to be able to become the president of the United States? Like, like I want to be able to sit down and tell my daughter exactly what I tell my sons. Right. Like, yeah. like why aren't we in a place like that? And we're not. And that's the thing that people don't realize the people that, that don't see institutional racism will also sit and deny, you know, that the, this disparity in pay between men and women and mm -hmm. the people that will say oh well she got raped what was she wearing or right. what mm -hmm. was she like like what we're not we're blaming the victim because she was wearing something so we just can't control ourselves if you don't act like you're supposed to mm -hmm. like that doesn't make the, sense yeah i mean the issue the issue at hand is uh you know bigotry is bigotry right yes um whether it's against a race against a sex against a hair type i don't i don't care gingers yeah gingers <laughs> uh <laughs> no <Just> so i mean <laughs> i mean it's it's uh bigotry is bigotry and when you have those kids you know when you have your your kids it's always your daughter you know it's never that woman is also someone else's daughter bigotry is an inherent lack of empathy yeah absolutely uh so you know you you, you don't ever want to see your daughter get sexually abused or hear about that happening um but you know if you're a sexual if you're an abuser uh it's it's never that they're somebody else's daughter it's yeah. it's always that they're just a person absolutely. a a, a woman, thing. you know, yeah, and that's uh -huh. that's something yeah. that I can't relate to, and I just I'm glad that I can't relate to it. But just like that complete lack of, of of empathy, and I don't know if that's like sociopathic or, or you know, that's just people get off on that power dominance. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's that portion of it too. There's the, you know, it all ties together. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, or, and being brought up to be taught that you were superior because of any one of your characteristics, socioeconomic, mm -hmm. you know, the color of your skin, like any of that, like, it, it's kind of like that, the, the kid that got off in Texas, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. his parents, he was brought up in such a rich way that he didn't know any better. Like, like, that's such, <laughs> I, I don't know, it's a cop out and you see it and you see it played out over and over again mm -hmm. and it is toxic masculinity sure 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 um well this is yeah. all you know outside of abuse reasons you know yeah and that's that's where i get really frustrated with this uh you know jordan peterson and people like him that have gained so much prominence lately where he kind of pushes this idea he pushes it to an extreme i feel like of you know, men used to be men and now like they're just weak little beta boys. And it's like I, I look at somebody like Jordan Peterson and I see somebody that knows deep down that he's a beta male and he's really insecure about it. So he's just trying like he's he's doing everything he can to promote, you know, strong what he's he calls like just natural male characteristics and traits which tend to be pretty toxic, you know? Um, and I think that like he, he can raise some good points where he's, you know, he says, 
you know, stand up straight and, and, uh, you know, walk with your, your, your shoulders back and your chest forward and everything. And it's like, but I look at somebody like him and he's like, he looks like Gollum, you know, he's <laughs> like the exact opposite of what he's describing other people should be, you know? But, ben Shapiro comes to mind. Oh God. Oh my God. Dude. You know that, you know that that guy in high school was a hall monitor. Like he had to have been. And then in college sure. he was, he was definitely like a, an RA, like a residence assistant. Yeah. yeah, you know it. I oh, bet yeah. you he's got he's gotten punched in the face. He's such a smarmy little he's fuck, got dude. A totally punchable face. Po- punchable no, does, face, I, punchable I think it's voice. Several times throughout his life, and but I think he just he thinks that he. I don't know. All right, guys. Well, that was a really good conversation. Is there any any uh, closing thoughts you want to wrap it up with? I uh, my I kind of wanted to. Uh, the, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was, you know, I kind of really got wrapped up in this. I'm a veteran. You guys are veterans. And like uh, the when I started doing like research on World War Two and like you're yeah, everybody thinks of that as like the greatest generation and like people coming back and there's so much nostalgia. And that goes right back into the 50s time era. Right. Uh, and you think about all of that and like how amazing this is. You had black troops serving their country uh, on the front lines for the first time, right? And so you have these guys going and getting to be put into that, and and they're coming back uh, to Jim Crow era laws in the South. Um, and I found this very interesting article called "The Rise and Fall of Jim Crow" on thirteen dot org. It's a PBS uh, media thing, um, and it talks about uh, the police. Literally, if the black soldiers came back, uh, they got home and they got off the buses uh, wearing their uh, wearing their uniforms with their medals and stuff like that. The police would beat them and teach them that now that they were back in the South, that they didn't care that they had gone and fought for their freedom. Like, know your place now. Right. Like, you're not a war hero anymore. Uh, and there are so many stories of uh, that this documents of of guys getting beat and then if they found uh you know some of these guys developed relationships with french women and stuff like that and if they found a picture of a white woman uh in the wallet of one of these black uh world war highly decorated world war ii veterans that just went and fought off the the nazis they come home uh and if they find a picture of a white woman in their wallet they get killed so this was to me was really um how i got turned on to like the fact that uh, once I discovered this and just like, cause that's not taught in my history classes, right. That's not taught anywhere. Like that's, that's a pretty significant thing. And, and once I learned that, like I went down this path and, and to me, like the whole, the whole idea that racism is baked into the cake in this country is just disgusting. So that's why I wanted to go into this subject of redlining and kind of everything that encompasses. Yeah, man, I think we nailed it. Like, you know, and even with that, like when we talk about the fifties, and it, and this being such a you know pristine era that everybody longs for is like the the pinnacle. It's something something that people like to conveniently forget is throughout the fifties we had a Republican president of in you know in the form of Dwight Eisenhower, who pushed and implemented more social programs than pretty much any president since then. Um, and these were for veterans returning home from world war ii to make sure that they were taken care of they had employment they had jobs and so like we for i mean for example he implemented the interstate highway system a massive infrastructure project consisting of tens of thousands of miles of, divi- of divided highway 
And it was kind of like a, a win-win for everybody because the infrastructure was in need of, of attention. And also there were going to be all these people coming back from war that were in need of employment. So I, th- I thought about this just recently thinking about the uh, conversation that I had a year and a half or so ago with Michael Kimmel. We discussed him last week. And he just made the point, he said, it's interesting when social programs are implemented to benefit white Americans, everybody's for it. And it's even a Republican president that's putting into practice. But anytime we talk about social pra- social programs for minorities or, or any, any um, marginalized group, then it's a handout. Absolutely. I, I, I've seen a meme that says, name something that's trashy when you're poor but classy when you're rich <laughs> and it's like one. receiving you know subsidies from the government yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fucking awesome <laughs> all right guys well thanks again for, for uh, participating in this discussion it was definitely robust so check out punk-journalism.com facebook.com slash punk journalism look us up on twitter and instagram we'll talk to you next time Yeah, yeah, it's okay. it's going in and out. It's kind of fuzzy. Yeah, it's fuzzy. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Well, shit. I Am I know. fuzzy? Do I sound fuzzy? No, you guys coming through crystal clear. I don't know. No, you sound like a well-groomed man to me. Okay. Not fuzzy. <laughs> Not fuzzy. Okay. Just like a well-groomed. Yeah, it's, got, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot better now. Yeah. You know what? Actually, uh, you you know Runza and Loveland. I know you oh, do, yeah, Chris. Yeah. Dude. Not personally, but yeah. Yeah. You know of Runza, so. Yeah. Every time I go in there now, I have this memory of something that I, I just put out of my mind for, for most of my life. And then eventually it came back to me. But um, when I was like, I think I must have only been like four or five years old. I went into that Runza with my family, of course. And I went, it, it was just like a one person bathroom. So I went in there, shut the door behind me. No, Obviously nobody else is in there with me. And I just started pissing all over that entire bathroom. I pissed. I don't think I pissed in the toilet at all. I pissed on the door. I pissed in the, I remember in the trash can, I pissed all over the walls. I'm just laughing because did your dad find out, do you? I think I told my parents about it, but like, I remember laughing my ass off the entire time. I thought it was great. So now whenever I go in there and I've only been in there twice in the last year or so, I always tell the cashier at the front, I'm like, look, I need to get this off my conscience. About 30, 32 years ago, I peed all over the bathroom in there. So I just, you know, all this time later, I feel like I should apologize. And yeah. And I bet you everyone's like, okay, yeah. Whatever. It's just so weird just because it's like, what What do you think motivates little boys to do that kind of thing? Like This man is on drugs. They just have like, you have a, you know, something that you can like project fluid from out of your body. So you think you need to, to you know, spray it everywhere. I don't know, but.